It's time to wrap our tentacles around the worlds of entertainment and give it a good squeeze. This is the Squid Fellows Podcast. Yag Shemash, my name is Maher, and today oh we will be with a guest from another country. We have a vagine. His name is Tyler. Hello! <laughs> and to my friend, we have a Andy. Hey, squid file. Not so nice. He have a vagine as well. Yeah. All the vagines. Tomorrow. For a vagine party. We have the crazy, crazy retard Milo. Yeah! Mr. Chris. <laughs> the head of the short bus. Well, welcome to the short bus. This is Chris. So, this week I'm going to review the comics books, The Boys. Which they broke up into six omnibus books, which have a bunch of the comics collected. Which is the show, The Boys. And first thing I'm going to say is if you watch the show, the comic book is totally different and vice versa. Like, there's some stuff that crosses over in terms of names and events, but they're totally different in every other way. The characters are written differently, plot's totally different, they've added characters for the show that are not in the comic book. Some Have you the, seen the show? The, uh, yeah, I've watched the show too. It you can on, review it first, I, but I, I want to I, I hear what you think between so the we two. Did that, we did that one earlier. I'll compare oh, it okay. later. So the comic book is set in the mid-2000s to 2010s, and it's the same concept of, there's, of Huey is out with this girl, but Huey this time is Scottish. He's out with his girl, and his girl gets killed in a battle between A-Train and a villain. She just gets killed by my son, Huey Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> and so Huey ends up like in shock, and Vought America approaches him, and he kind of tells them to take a hike, and then he gets approached by this guy, Billy Butcher, and he recruits him into his group, the boys, whose job is to kind of contain the hero's you know, problem and kind of monitor them and make sure they don't go too far off the rails. So it's kind of the same basic starting point. But... For one thing, Billy and the boys are fully funded CIA black ops team at the time. They're not like black ops. together. Yeah, black ops. African American ops. If that makes you feel better. African American is not a term. I don't think. I don't think we should use that anymore. Yeah, because technically it's pretty racist. Well, technically, Charlize Theron is African American. <laughs> That's true. She is. So, what term should we use? <laughs> so uh, they're a fully funded black ops team this time. They actually have a ton of intelligence about not just the Seven, but all these other hero groups. They know a fuck ton of stuff. Wait, is this like a dystopian universe? I don't know a single thing about the boys. Yeah, so the boys, so the universe is set the same. So it's a universe where heroes exist, but they don't really do anything like the way we would think heroes actually do. They're just super rich sociopaths. They get to do whatever the fuck they want. They get praised for being heroes, but they don't really fight any villains, basically. They're like celebrities. They're especially super celebrities, but they actually have superpowers. Tom Cruise. (laughs) Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. And so the boys know a ton about all these hero teams. There's a ton of more different hero teams. There's Teenage Kicks. There's a bunch of just other teams. There's a team of even like special needs Heroes. <laughs> <laughs> gotta have the inclusion. You you gotta have it somewhere. You know? This one's got a marginalized really, really group. Fast each one, each Uh-oh, one. No, <laughs> so there's just uh, there's a bunch of different hero teams. They 
there's a bunch of different stuff that they deal with. And the boys, you can actually fight back against the heroes. In the show, they really can't because the heroes are super-powered and they're just regular people. In the comic book, and they're going to be spoilers as we go along, the heroes actually have the boys, because they're not really heroes. They have a version. They either have Compound V in them through something that happened before, which is the thing that gives people powers, or in the case of like Billy and Huey and the Frenchman, they have an injection of like a Compound V that's dumbed down and makes them super soldiers, but doesn't give them crazy superpowers. Got it. So they have the ability to actually fight back against the heroes on their own terms, and they kill a bunch of people. There's literally a scene where this, this corporate guy, in order to get the Seven and the boys to get into open conflict, sends a low-level hero team after them. And they're like, we got this! We're gonna fuck these guys up! And they open the door, and the boys are just sitting there, and Billy's got his crowbar, and they just fucking murder the shit out of these heroes. I hope it was the special <laughs> needs team. No, it was not the special needs God damn it, guys. <laughs> But they just murder the fucking shit out of them. It's just brutal. Like, oh, I got the cell... The boys are made up of the same core group. Billy is in charge. Huey is the new guy. Uh, Frenchie is a different background, but he's just a kind of crazy French guy. The girl, is she just is called uh, the female. She doesn't actually get a name in the comic. <laughs> That's because the comic's wow. about the boys. <laughs> wow. There's a reason for that. There's actually a legitimate reason why her Saving name is just the female. And then there's uh, then there's Mother's Milk. Oh, no. So it's the same... Same core five guys. And, and Mother's Milk. Mother's Milk. So Mother's Milk, is this, Mother's Milk is this huge black dude. <laughs> huge black dude is Mother's Milk. And each one has a crazy backstory. Chocolate milk. <laughs> Their backstories are all different. So the, the biggest one they've gone into in the show, which is different from the comic, is the female. So in the show, she has like a whole backstory where they were kidnapped as kids. And forced into a fight for a terrorist group and then this terrorist group sent her to get injected with compound V to make her a super terrorist and she, her name is Kimiko in the show and like they like you meet her brother at one point and then her brother gets whacked in the show like she gets killed comic book the female was a baby whose mother didn't give a shit about her brought her to work and stuff kept her under the desk because she couldn't afford a nanny Bruh. and the baby crawls away from her mom crawls into this lab where they're doing some experiments and drinks some sort of compound V <laughs> thing, get superpowers, but they lock her up. They pay her mom to basically never talk about it. Lock the female up and basically test her endlessly. Good for the and mom. she continues to break out and they capture her and she breaks and they capture her until eventually she finally gets away. But that's part of why she doesn't have a name. She was just a little baby when they cut her off from everybody. And they never gave her a name in the lab. So the moral of this yeah. story is that child neglect is very profitable. <laughs> yeah, it, it can be. It is, um, yeah. So also another big difference is Compound V in the show is like this big secret that they discover in the first season. In the comics, it's like the secret that everyone knows about. Like, you know, It's kind of like how everyone knew that Harvey Weinstein was raping his way across Hollywood. They just didn't say anything. It's the same Got thing with it. this. That everyone knows you got to be in the in-group. Yeah, if you're in the hero thing, you know what Compound V is. You know it's out there. You know the trouble it's caused. Whereas in the yeah. show, no one knew what it was. And it was a mystery thing. And it's one of the things fueling suspense, yeah. I guess. Yeah, so the comic book also is, I say, really well drawn. I like the drawing style for the it comic is, book. It is, yeah, I it's agree. It's not as flashy as the other hero ones are. It's a little grimier, but everything's drawn really cleanly. You can tell what everything is. 
I really like the way that they draw the comic book. The plot, I don't want to ruin the full plot, but the plot is actually really interesting. And honestly, there are no good guys. Bully, Billy Butcher is just as much of a monster, if not more of a monster, than Homelander, who's set up to be the main bad guy. Because as they go along, they realize that part of the reason why Homelander does really fucked up things is he was tricked into thinking he's really evil and he's not. Whereas Billy was born and raised kind of fucked up, and if it hadn't been for his wife, he would have been in, he would have been beating people up his entire life. And then when his wife died, if he hadn't been recruited for the boys, he'd been back out in bar fights, just fighting people and killing them and beating them up. Like he was never a good guy. So now you can so go to you, bar you, fights on roids. Yeah. So now you, if, oh like I, the way I look at it is if Billy had had the power. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If Billy had had the superpowers and the Homelander had like their roles had been reversed, Billy would have been as big a sociopath as anyone because he kind of is. He just kind of wanted to fight and get into fights and do stuff just because he's not really a good dude and he has that evil side in him. And the only thing that ever contained it was his wife. And so, like, I like that there's that contrast of there really are no good guys in this. There's just, the, the heroes are just getting more and more out of control, and you need someone kind of just as bad, almost, to actually stop them from completing their ultimate plan and keeping them kind of in check. Everyone loves a good anti-hero. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, the art style kind of reminds me of it, too, in a, in a weird way. I like it a lot. I think the comics are better than the show, personally. I think... I think the show is going to have a really hard time wrapping up because they're going to have to come up with some weird weakness for the Homelander that is going to make him take downable. And it's going to be cliche. Yeah. Because right now in the show, Homelander is totally invincible. And in the comic, he's invincible as well. But I don't want to ruin it, but like there was a plan in place to stop him that ends up stopping him. So they're That's like, a spoiler. Yeah. <laughs> so well he doesn't win the story concludes <laughs> I said they were going to be spoilers like there is a plan in place that actually makes sense versus like this show I don't know how they're going to do it Right. they've already changed a bunch of the, like I don't know how they're going to explain Mother Milk's name <laughs> because in the sh- in the comic he gets that name because he has compound B in him from birth his mom was exposed to it and the only thing that keeps him from breaking down and shriveling up and being super weak is drinking his mother's Oh, that's <laughs> that's fucking so, relatable. I very relatable. So that's how he got the nickname Mother's Milk. <laughs> I don't know how they're gonna translate. He just ever even gonna bother with it in this show. I don't know how they're ever gonna translate that. So his uh, mom gets old so and, and dies, like, and so what? Uh, his mom. He's done. Started in like freezing it, making ice pops. I don't know. They never really. I don't assume he. Dude, she's just hooked up to a milking machine all day. He's not. She's not dead while the comic takes place. So he he occasionally has to go back there and. Does she keep producing milk? Does he take it straight from the source, or does she like put it in a cup? It depends. He he does have like. Depends on the day. In the office, but I think there's sometimes where he goes back and gets it from the source as well. Well, they've got a. Yeah. That's <laughs> plot <laughs> armor. Plot <laughs> armor. Suspension of disbelief. Um, yeah, like that movie. <laughs> yeah. In the show, they made Billy actually a good guy who only was bad because of things that were done to him, not because he's bad. And that, to me, is the biggest, I think, miss of the show would be to have, to have that contrast of Billy's just as bad as Homelander. It's just Homelander can do all this crazy stuff and Butcher can't. 
to me, that would have been a much better contrast than what they did with the show itself. So yeah, I would say the comics are better than the show overall. You get a lot more depth into this world and how it happens, and they can show more crazy shit in the comics. Like they, There's a part in Russia where they're in Russia, they order a pizza. I don't know why you'd order a pizza in Russia, but they do that. Yeah. They order a pizza, and as a threat to them to warn them to leave Russia, the pizza man, they, someone delivers the pizza, and they cut some dude's face off and put it on their pie instead. <laughs> So they open the pie and there's just a skin face sitting on their pizza. <laughs> skin cheese. Yeah. Wait, uh, that's not what they ordered. No, they didn't order human face. I know you could put. That's. I thought that was that was the yeah the Russian. I thought that was the Russian. That that was the special. Special. Yeah. Those pizza guys are always on time because they're Russian. Wow. Dad of the night. <laughs> I hate myself as much. Uh, I love the I love the sadness that just came out of you after making that he joke. Stop himself he couldn't. It, it, it came into it his brain. It was too late. So, um, so I would rate this uh, seven out of eight tentacles. Hot. Only reason why it probably doesn't get the full eight is the ending. Like once the big hero boys clash happens, there's stuff that goes on after that that's not as good, and I think kind of brings it down a little bit. But all the way up to the big clash is really well done and really great. And there's a lot of different, like, hints and twists and reveals and a bunch of, like, crazy shit that goes on. And it's just really well done. It all make it makes sense. Like, everything makes sense when they tie it all together. There's no, like, weird, well, why did that little thing happen? Like, it all makes sense. And just one more thing. There's a really cool character. I'm, they don't really give his name very much. I'm forgetting his name, but he's the head of the superhero division in Vaught America and he is not intimidated by anyone whatsoever. He's not like Spec Ops trained, he's not has compound VM, nothing. He's just a regular dude. But he literally like there's a scene where Homelander shows up covered in blood, looks like he's about to kill him, and he's like, I'm not impressed by you. You can do whatever you can do all this crazy shit you're doing, but I'm not impressed by you. It's entirely predictable and you're predictable and boring. So just kill me already if you're gonna kill me. Cool. You, don't, you don't intimidate me at all. And Homer just like, fuck you, and then flies away, basically. Yeah. Like, this <laughs> fuck <dude>. you, dad! <laughs> okay, yeah. so okay. He's so, he's one character I really wish they translated into the show, <laughs> and they tried to a little bit, but they didn't really do it, and it doesn't really work, and that's, for me, the single biggest miss that the show has entirely, but the show's still good, but you just can't look at it as the comics. It's Not its at own all, thing, man. It's its own thing. It has its own path. It's its own track in life. It's its own little baby boy or girl or whatever oh, you want to call it. You want to be a boy? Baby or boy? I do. I have, a, I have a question though. What a what what brand comic is it? Marvel, DC, Image, Dark Horse. It's, it's, it's something else, right? Uh, no. So my ass. the guy that wrote it originally, and uh, Garth Ennis, tried to bring it to DC and they're like we're not gonna make a giant bloodfest orgy fucking people hookers pussies at DC so it was made by Dynamite Comics cause he took it elsewhere and yeah respectable because respectable DC was like no <laughs> and even in the foreword they're like the guy was way too innocent thinking that DC was going to make this comic. He had to know better. They were going to turn yeah. him down. At least he didn't go to Marvel. No, Marvel would have been like, no. No, I think their no. heads would have exploded. <laughs> <laughs> Ew, gross, boobies. 
But yeah, so Stan Lee has a heart attack. That that's what killed him. Again. It, it was the boys. <laughs> it was the boys. Seven out of eight, and if you're gonna buy the omnibuses, buy them with the cartoon art covers. There's covers with pictures of the actors and actresses in the show. It is a terrible cover. They're trying. It looks really bad. It's very cringe. Get the comics with the cover art. With the cover art being hand drawn from the comics. So much better cover art. You'll thank me later when you're looking at it on your shelf and you're like, this doesn't look hideous. It looks good and it reads good. All right, Squidophiles. Andy here. I'm uh, reviewing a cult classic film written and directed by the Coen Brothers that came out in 1987. So if you haven't seen it by now... Tough titties. Fuck you. Uh, There's going to be some spoilers, probably. Nothing too bad. It's just a regular old movie where all the regular old stuff happens. What's the movie? For movies, you kind of have to spoil them. Yeah. I agree. To review them. Um, If someone's listening and they want to watch the movie, you know, they can pause it. Spoiler alert. Suck my balls if you don't listen. Continue, sir. Yes. You get your balls sucked a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Alright, so the movie that I'm reviewing is called Raising Arizona. It's a treasure. It's a legendary film in my book. I think it's absolutely fantastic. One of the near-perfect films I've ever seen in my life. And it's starring Nicolas Cage. And you know that guy's a national treasure. <laughs> okay. Perhaps. Trust he, me. He's a national something, all right? I don't know if <laughs> treasure's the word I'd use. He is, he is a national treasure, in my opinion. And you will, you will never see him in a role like this, ever. He is perfectly on point. Just... Oh, absolutely fantastic character. So, it starts off following Nicolas Cage's character named H.I. He's a really shitty... Like, high? Criminal H.I. H.I.V. H.I. McDonough is his name. Okay, he's a criminal. He's a criminal. A very shitty one. Gets arrested a lot. And, um... Most criminals are shitty. He falls in love with the lady... Her name is Ed. A lady. Who, who, yeah, she's Special. A, she's <laughs> very special. She's a little bit special. Full name Edwina. <laughs> Edwina. She's a mugshot photographer, so they see each other quite often. And he hits on her every single time. Unlikely couple, they actually do fall in love. They try and try and try okay. very, very hard to have a kid. She is infertile. Cannot have a kid. Failure. Yeah. And more, and more than anything in the world is it, she wants to be a mother. Adopt. And, well. Steal yeah. a baby. So. <laughs> little Indian boy. They are watching Happy. TV and there's a very big furniture tycoon named um, Nathan Arizona. Him and his wife, they're old. They're like 60. Okay. His wife gives birth to quintuplets. At Holy oh, shit! shit. Yeah. Damn, dude. <laughs> yeah, I, that's that's Must more like, like a uh, that's like some steamed Korean beef. Yeah, holy yeah. When the uh, when the movie ends, the curtains flaps. close. Gray flaps. <laughs> so quintuplets, right? Uh, Hi and Edwina figure, you know, they got too much on their hands, and they need a baby. Do they steal one of their babies? So they steal one of the babies. The babies have all a bunch of weird names like Gabby, Labby, Rabby, and Carthage. and then blah blah blah. And one of them is Nathan Jr. Oh. Gabby, Wabby, and Nathan Jr. Gabby, so they Rabby, pick Nathan Swabby. Jr. 
So we think. We're not exactly sure. Neither is Nathan Arizona. He doesn't know. When asked which one they took, he says Nathan Jr., I think. <laughs> which is kind of fun. So they take this child. They start raising him as their own. Barely any questions are asked. They have some of their family friends over, and they're like, Oh, cool. When, where did you get this baby? They're like, we adopted, and blah, blah, blah. And um, H.I. has given up his life of crime. Because he wants to set himself straight, he wants to raise the kid right, he wants to be a good husband for Ed. So stealing the baby, that was the last last criminal act? I wouldn't act. consider that was a crime, hey. Nathan Arizona had a little bit too much to handle. Pretty confident right, right. stealing a baby is a crime. Doesn't count if there's five. I think it still counts. And if your wife is 60, I don't know. I mean, the wife's hips are probably done, but I still think... Those hips probably were already done. I still don't think you could just be like, all right, well, you don't need this baby, right? It's an extra baby. I'm going to take this one home with me. We can take better care of it. It's fine. Also, I feel like if you're having a baby and you're 60 years old, like, those eggs are fucking expired. You're going to have a pretty challenged child. Yeah, I'm sure they're pretty calorie. There might be fossils in there. Yeah. No good. No good. Yeah. Duds. So... H.I. has friends on the inside that are doing life in prison. They break out. In a really neat, they just dig their way out. Normal shit. That's how you break out of prison. You dig like hundreds and hundreds of yards underground, and then you just sneak out of the mud. They show up. They see Nathan Jr., and um, they put two and two together, figure that's a stolen baby, and they take it so they could sell it back to Nathan, Arizona, for ransom money or reward money. They end up robbing a bank because crime is really fun. Wait, 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 wait. So they stole the baby to ransom, and in the middle of that plot... Just because like, crime is fun. We're going to go rob a bank. Just because crime is fun. Okay. What? <laughs> okay. I mean, they they are big brain criminals that I did guess. break out of prison, well, so also, it, it doesn't... So. You can't put it past them. Maybe, you know, they voyeur in different areas of the crime. One day they rob a bank, one day they steal a baby. You gotta keep the, the diversify the portfolio. Have you never you know? taken a baby. <laughs> you said this is a <laughs> Oh, it is, trust me. It's an absolute gem. An absolute it's an gem. All right, keep, keep, gem. keep going. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Nice, nicely done. All right, um, keep going. So this, whole, the, so, this whole time after Nathan Jr. has been kidnapped, a. Demon-esque, motorcycle-driving, shotgun-wielding, rabbit-killing bounty hunter is on their tail. What? Trying to get the baby back? Trying to get the baby back. This guy wants the reward. He wants more than the reward. He's kind of pulling uh, Nathan Arizona's sweet baby pussy leg. Yeah. <laughs> but it's really silly. It's really Wee! silly. This guy, he's on a motorcycle. He's just driving, throwing grenades all over the place, shooting rabbits. Drives past a flower and it just catches fire for no reason. So is this like a drama? Is this a dark comedy? It's a very it's dark like a... comedy. Okay. Oh. It's, it's, it's so very it's silly. To be like a yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a very, very silly movie. Yeah, you're not meant to take it seriously, ever. But it is... Nicolas Cage is the lead role. Come on. <laughs> but it is it is beautifully shot. It's a fantastic movie. Nicolas Cage's acting is so on point. It's incredible. It's, like, unbelievable. But it's also still silly. But what's his, like, role as a character? Like, what, how does he drive the plot if he's so important and great? Well, he probably criminal, gets the baby he's back. He's a criminal dad trying to re- reform himself yeah. and protect this baby and, you know, his wife. Oh, I suppose. 
pretty serious role, though. It does, doesn't it? It's Nicholas Cage literally plays roles where he takes himself seriously. It's listen, hard to believe. everything in this movie sounds like it should be serious, but it's a comedy. Nicholas Cage ends up robbing a convenience store for Huggies. His wife sees him robbing it, calls him a son of a bitch about 16 times, takes off with the car and the baby. There's a gigantic, long, very silly, fun police chase scene on foot chasing Nicolas Cage. Lots of gunfire ensuing. Nicolas Cage kind of nonchalantly ignoring it. Not getting hit. Stuff exploding near him all the time. Running through houses. Good stuff. And the wife eventually picks him up. And they get the Huggies. They did it. Eventually they do come into contact with this crazy bounty hunter guy. And um, he fights Nicolas Cage and just kicks the shit out of him. There's lots of force behind the punches in the fight scenes in this movie, too, which is really fun. But they are done sillily. Sillily? Sillily. Very sillily. <laughs> you just made up a word. Eventually, one hit from the bounty hunter hits Nick Cage, and it pans down, and one of the pins of the grenade is on Nick Cage's hand. And Nick Cage gives a very subtle, I'm sorry. And then the guy blows up. The guy blows up, and it's really fucking awesome. It's a giant fiery graphic explosion, and all that's left, it just shows, like, a fucking burning foot <laughs> that's left. That's hot. It's fantastic. The dogs. The dogs. I kind of wanted to touch it with my uh, penis fingers. What? You know you wanted to touch it with I thought the same thing. Well, <laughs> you guys are weird. So Does they it end with them with... They, Nick Cage running off with his stolen baby. They come. Life. They come to terms that they are no longer good for each other. They decide to break up, but before breaking up, they decide to go back to Nathan Arizona's house and return the baby. And I'm not sure how much time has passed, but I would say probably months. A silly thing about them going back to Nathan Arizona's house is that the ladder that they used is just kind of still up in the window. Oh, when they originally oh. stole the child? Yeah. They never took it down and locked oh, the window. Yeah. <laughs> it's a silly, funny thing. <laughs> it's just a funny movie thing. I'm sure they took it down, but they just put it back there for the movie, and it just looks like it was up there for months. They return the baby. Nathan Arizona catches them, wielding a gun. And then he shoots all the babies? No, they blame the bounty hunter for the stolen baby because... He's dead. He can't... Exactly, exactly. And, um... Nathan Arizona goes to see Nathan Jr. in the crib. In the crib. In the crib. So all the babies in there are in there, and he puts his arms over the crib with the gun. Literally points the gun at all the fucking children. <laughs> puts the gun down inside of the crib, and then has a full conversation <laughs> with Nick Cage, with Ed and HI, and then the baby about the baby. That babies got no dick. They just gotta play with guns sometimes, <laughs> and um. Nathan Arizona comes to terms with the fact that H.I. and Ed did actually take the baby, but he forgives them. He forgives them in order to not have to give them the reward because he's very cheap. FC offered to give them store credit as a reward. Oh, my <laughs> Lord. Which is fantastic and good because yes, furniture. And, that would um, be a headline. H.I. returned for store credit. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's unclear at the end of the movie as to whether H.I. and Ed do stay together, but... H.I. has a dream about aging and getting old and hoping that Nathan Jr. has a great life as a 
football player or blah 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 and maybe he will kind of remember them and he hopes that they kind of set him on the right path which is impossible because they're criminals and pieces of shit and they probably ruined Nathan's life probably but that sequence where they become old and they are still together kind of brings a tear to my little eyeball so what would you rate the movie I would rate it about a 7.5 out of 8 Damn, yeah. you really I, like this movie. I love this movie so much. I know I'm not doing justice, and I know <laughs> that you guys think you'll hate it, but we should all we watch should, it No, together. I was going to say, we should at least give it a try. It is a truly legendary film in my eyes. I love it. Listen, fellas. We have to talk about Kevin. Something wrong with Kevin. There's something about... So, I am Nihar... <laughs> And today on the Squid Fellas, I'll be reviewing a movie called We Need to Talk About Kevin. Damn it, Kevin. And we Need to Talk About Kevin is a movie about a boy who is born to semi-pleasant parents. The father is a really happy dude. They're very wealthy. And the mom is like a famous travel lady and she's also an author and she's also very wealthy. He's born to two, you know, prosperous parents and then suffers from a lot of early emotional dissociation and trauma as a child and then manipulates his family to a very interesting climax. So the story takes place in just some random rural yeehaw town where all them failures are hanging and all the leaners are dangling. Dangling low, 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 low. And the story starts with a number of like very, very psychological, um, vivid screens. Like there's one where she's at tomato festival uh, in Spain where they literally like rub tomato juice on each other in the street for I always hours. wanted to go to that. And it's crazy. Massive heartburn. It's uh, absurd, and there's people just making out and banging in the tomato paste that's running <laughs> through the street. Jesus. And then it pans away, and it like, snaps away, and it just goes to another scene that like juxtaposes a lot of stuff to make you really wonder what the hell you're watching. It's weird. They like flip through a lot of significant symbolic colors and events because they mess with timelines a lot in this movie. They're constantly having you look at her present life after birthing Kevin and her past life before and leading up to the birth of Kevin. So is the focus the mom? Our two main, main characters are the mom and Kevin. The dad is significant, but only in that he is completely ignorant and oblivious to Kevin's mental decline. You start the movie with her in the present day. She's at her, like, some shitty office job. She works as a travel agent and is miserable. And for some reason, everybody in the town hates her. And you don't know why yet. Hmm. Everybody in the town just looks at her like she's an alien and shouldn't belong. And uh, she lives alone in this crappy little shack on top of that. Then it constantly flips back to the past and develops the past a little bit while you watch her kind of suffer. It's weird. But every time she tries to think of a good situation 
or a resolution to something about her family or trying to move on from whatever happened, she has a flashback. And uh, then you get to watch that. And that's how she gets developed and her past gets yeah. developed until the climax of the movie when you eventually figure out what happened. And um, so what's wrong with Kevin? What the fuck is wrong with Kevin? Peace like the beach. Well, let's start. So extra chromosome. <laughs> well, somewhere in there. Possibly <laughs> dead. So Kevin, since birth, was unbelievably difficult to handle the time um, she would try to interact with him he would either cry or just sit there and stare at her um, with no expression even as a small no child emotion. as a small child he wouldn't even bat an eye at her but every time the dad would come by he would be jubilant and seeming like a normal happy boy hmm. uh, oh. and um, so from a young age, he always had this this growing, festering hatred towards his mother, to the point Typical. where it turned him sociopathic. And she kind of played a role in it, to be honest. She's not just just this victim character that you watch suffer, and you're like, ah, whatever, you know, she didn't deserve it. Blah blah blah. It's not mushy like that. Like she played a part in it. She would sit there, and he would be difficult, and she would say traumatizing things like. If I never had you, I would be in France or like. Ouch. <laughs> yeah. Very, very, very motherly. Very motherly. She would dig deep, and then you could tell, you know, maybe he's three or four, and his face drops, and he, you can tell that he kind of understands the negative tone in which she's using towards him, but doesn't understand like the full depth of it. But still, the way that your brain reacts to that, he got traumatized. Um, and so he became more disconnected from like emotions to the point where when you're all big when you're when your balls drop and you're like I don't know nine whatever not having yet um, <laughs> this kid was still in diapers because he intentionally avoided being potty trained so that he could spite his mother and make her change and him make her change his diapers <laughs> ah fuck I should have done that's that that's like Hilarious. that's like it's it not is, good but it's, it's like big brain. brain he's heavily manipulating her and it is very interesting to watch you grow to hate him but at the same time every time he does some dumb shit she justifies his actions by being a bitch or like being a bad mother right you immediately yeah, like forget so you're like who do I care about here eye for an eye uh, type shit and so Vengeance very, will be mine. And uh, yes. at one point, Kevin shits his pants. And she goes and she changes him. She wasn't having it. She was just going to change him and be done with it. Changes his diaper. And she's berating him. And then he hops off the table. And then turns around, looks at her. And shits again. Yeah! <laughs> like in the diaper or on the floor? In the diaper. So uh, Let's go. Uh, that's amazing. And so she grabs him and she throws him at the wall. Damn. And he breaks his arm. Uh, um, wow. And it flashes forward and it's a quote from him in a juvenile detention center meeting room saying, that was the most honest thing you ever did to me. Hmm. 
Yeah, he breaks his arm. They take him to the hospital. They patch him up. They give him a cast. They suck his cock. They go. They change his diaper. <laughs> they send him off. And when Kevin gets home, the dad's home, and you would expect him to snitch, but instead, he goes up to the dad and says, oh, I uh, fell off the table playing a game and broke my arm, and he just makes up some bullshit excuse and keeps the mom in the clear so that he can hold it over her as blackmail. Dude, uh, this kid's a fucking genius. Yeah, he's like nine it. He's years sinister. Old. He's a mastermind. Damn, Damn I fucking should have done my life different. This I could still can... be shitting my pants. Yeah. yeah. So he's now a... when I do it, everyone freaks out. <laughs> he's a little evil mastermind. And, and as he grows up, you start to see him mature. At one point, she is reading him a bedtime story about Robin Hood. And they get to the part in Robin Hood where he's facing the king's trial. Kevin is acting like he's very happy and he's like rubbing up on the mom they're cuddling and it looks like they might have a chance to repair the relationship but then the very next day he's back to being dead and cold and hates her yeah and God, the damn. dad buys him a bow and arrow a toy like a practice shoots with the mom no and he's shooting the targets and then you know years later he's growing up and he's matured and it becomes a hobby of his and his dad gets him a real bow and arrow great and so he's shooting out in the backyard. These people are really wealthy, so they can just buy this type of shit. Yeah, yeah. He goes out in the backyard. He's shooting at a pristine target. He's hitting bullseyes. It's very alarming. He's so edgy. He's so very lanky, and you can tell there's no emotion in his face. The actor's great. There's, he has such dead eyes and Do you know black who? eyebrows and black hair. Do you know who, who it was? It doesn't matter. He's looking like a school shooter. That's the look now. And that's the background. So <laughs> yeah, right. you're that's the background. This guy because he was in a crappy DC movie. It was Ezra Miller. Is that the guy that played the Flash? Right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Well, he was also in the Perks of Being a Wallflower. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Sorry. Keep going. Amongst so, other things. This kiddo Kevin is just very, very terrible to his mother, and she will try to do things to recuperate some sort of relationship thinking that, you know, maybe now that he's mature, he can understand me better. It doesn't work. She barely tries. Like, she makes such a dry conversation with him. They go to dinner. She tried to, like, make dumb conversation, like, oh, how was school? Like, stupid shit like that. And Kevin is just not... Not having it. Not having it. No one should have that kind of conversation. And uh, then they have another kid, and he gets really really jealous because she's this beautiful little blonde girl her name is Celia and she's so cute and perfect and happy and there's nothing wrong with her like there's shit wrong with Kevin there's a scene where they're eating cereal in the morning and um, you see her with an eye patch and you're confused what had happened was one day her guinea pig her pet guinea pig went missing and they were looking around mm. the house everywhere for it. Everywhere. And no, Kevin didn't shoot it with a bow and arrow. Um, he stuck he, it up his ass. Yeah. He stuck, it, he stuck it somewhere. He stuck it down the garbage disposal, clogged it. And Was so it alright? No. No, it wasn't. <laughs> all right. The mom poured Shit. Drano. Oh my god. So Lord. much Drano into the drain to try and get it out and then the sink just started bubbling up and then 
call a plumber. Um, she <laughs> or an exorcist. They left to do something, and Kevin had taken the Drano and left it out on the counter, where she had it up in a closet with her behind a child lock. Yeah. Oh. Uh, put it on the counter, and she spilled all that caustic fluid in her eye. Well, and they had to take her to the hospital, and while they were sitting on the bench, the mother and the father, while they were sitting on the bench, they were just like, what happened? Like, and then the mom utters the words she's been saying for the past 10 years. We need to Kevin did it. Yeah. And like the husband is just not having it. And he just gets up and walks off. Oblivious. Dumbass. He doesn't want to believe that Kevin is evil because Kevin is always so pleasant around him. And so he's pitting the mom and the dad against each other. He's pitting even the little girl just like slowly making her I don't know she's so dumb Holy and shit. she does everything Kevin wants and she looks up to him somehow it's an older sibling it's a natural yeah thing. big brother yeah and then on Kevin's 16th birthday he had gotten a new bow and arrow and for Christmas and beautiful pristine nice sharp arrow I'm assuming the dad bought that for him and the not the mom okay. yep naturally Figured. naturally Dads want their kids to kill. On his 16th birthday, he gets a package, and it's heavy. And it is steel, high-quality, expensive bike locks. And what he does is he puts them on the doors of his school gymnasium and murders his whole class. Um, <laughs> how does he do that? How does he do this with a bow and arrow? <laughs> he, wow! He's been practicing for ten years. So he just does he hunts, actually so do he it with a bow and arrow? So he hunts them. Fucking sick! Holy and shit! He walks out, arms wide. He's proud of himself. And then everything just makes sense. Everything connects in the movie. The movie puts so many vignettes up in front of you. Wow! And then they all connect at once. Wow. Uh, right, why everyone would hate her. Then after the school shooting, yeah. everybody's looking around. And there's sirens. Everybody's getting carried out. There's people that confronted her earlier in the movie that you see in a stretcher that you wouldn't have known where they were, why they were so friendly to her. The uh, only people in the town that were friendly towards her were people that understood her situation because they literally were it. Yeah. Then, you know, Kevin gets taken away in a cop car, and the whole time he's staring back at her through the through the rear view. She goes home, and he killed the dad and the little girl too. No! Wow. Uh, Bastard. It's brutal. And, uh, Damn, Ezra Miller. Jeez. That mom has to move. <laughs> Throughout the whole movie, there's this recurring color. There's so much red in this movie. I was going to say probably red. Like yeah. very, very bright red. Tomatoes. Um, over and over. We got the tomatoes. <laughs> tomatoes. The grocery store. She was up against like a wall of soup cans that were all red. Her lamp is red. Your microphone's Her red. House gets vandalized. True. Her house <laughs> gets vandalized and people throw paint all over it and it's bright yeah. red paint. And throughout the whole movie, it cuts to scenes of her trying to wash away the red paint. Or trying to scrape away the red paint. And yeah. it's obviously symbolic, but you don't know for what, and then you know. Wow. And then it's hot, and then your dick is hard. Wow. Um, what would you rate that the movie? That is a fucking angry movie. And 
I would rate the movie at eight out of eight tentacles because you know movies nowadays are pretty fucking garbage yeah um very very low production quality story writing poor no sense of nipple sack anywhere this movie came out in 2011 and i hadn't even heard of it now 2021 and i watched it and it is fantastic so much care in this movie it is very very psychological it's cool um knowing the whole plot of the movie doesn't spoil the satisfaction of the movie because it really sucks you into the experience of having to deal with kevin hello everyone i am the the guest guest not so guest infamous the guest from last week has returned yes sir yes sir yeah. uh, my name is tyler and i'm here to talk about our lord and savior uh sword of the stranger Nice. Sword of the Stranger is a masterpiece of a movie that me and Meher stumbled upon, recommended to us by a good friend, and we said, all right, you know, we always watch random niche weird thing. Sword of the Stranger is in an entirely different category. It is an animated film. I'll just get right into the, to the plot because there's so much to talk about with this movie. I mean, it starts out showing off the animation, just how detailed and how amazing the fight scenes are. Um, it's a kind of a rural, ancient Japan uh, samurai kind of a film, and a lot of people are warriors. I mean, you know, almost all the men in this time are, are warriors. Mm. And or dead. it starts off with a fight scene between two different peoples sort of so there's people traveling with goods and there are raiders that hear about them and try to invade and this is how it kind of introduces you into the film another note to take i highly suggest watching the dub of this movie i really? i normally i normally uh, yeah. would really? not i yeah. normally would not recommend <laughs> dubs the dub of this movie will help you to understand it the fact yeah. that the hair vouched uh, for the dub is incredible because so he's yeah. like dubs are the worst thing i've ever seen yeah, i feel like my that. balls just went into my body the reason for that one yes great voice actors but it goes beyond that mm -hmm. are there any known there, voice actors there or? is culture barriers in this movie and some of the characters are specifically American immigrants in China, and some of the characters speak fluent, proper Mandarin Chinese, and then there's Japanese warriors, and then there's the Englishmen who speak English. Like, there's the culture divide, and they struggle to understand each other. So like when they swap languages and it subtitles it for you, it's really important that you know that you understand. Yeah, if um, you aren't like listening very closely, you can tell it's noticeable because traditional Mandarin sounds a lot different than than Japanese, obviously, yeah, yeah, for, yeah. for you know very it's, many reasons. But fast. if you're not paying attention, it, it would be difficult to pick up on that. And the dub makes it very more like prominent because everything's in English and then when they speak to like translators because there are Chinese people it's the Ming dynasty so the Ming dynasty is in Japan and they're in Japan searching for something and we don't know you know what it is yet we don't know why so we cut to a boy with a dog 
and he's struggling to survive. Very another scene that we see very early on in the movie is the same boy running from being attacked, his temples being burned down. His father tells him, you know, here, go with your dog. His name's Kotaro. Here, go with your dog, like run. And that's essentially how we start kicking into the pot. So the boy's wandering around, struggling to survive. Um, it's very hard for him to find food. Again, he's a, a young boy. I think his age is nine, but I'm not exactly sure. And um, while he goes to one of the places that he stays in an abandoned shack, um, he stumbles upon a samurai warrior. His name's Nanashi, uh, and he has, I mean, kind of no name, and they'll explain this as the story goes on, but it keeps flashing to people who are trying to track down this, this young boy, Japanese people, with Chinese people as well from the Ming Dynasty that are kind of with them. And the detail in this movie is so immaculate. The animation and the things that they think about are just completely spot on. They have translators in the movie, so between the countrymen, and there's so much show and not tell in this movie that it's just riveting, and it's why it makes it, you know, you have to pay a little more attention. It's why it just gives it that, that extra edge. So there's, there's these people end up finally catching up and, and finding this boy, but they find him while he's with this samurai, this mysterious samurai, you know, warrior. We don't really know anything about him. And obviously the boy's defensive and doesn't trust him. He doesn't trust many people. He's been on the run, but the boy becomes ambushed. The uh, Ming, Ming and Japanese people end up catching up to him and they try to capture him. The samurai, and this is where we see Nanashi, or no name, show his abilities, and he fights uh, one of the Ming Dynasty warriors. Just immaculate battles. The animation, I couldn't give you words to describe you how well it is. <laughs> I, you would I have know. to you would have to be able to watch it. So, I am so stoked the, to watch it. My Ming, heart is fluttering. The Ming Dynasty Chinese soldiers, they're like the best of the best. They're very elite warriors and they all have like a unique type of weaponry that they specialize in. They're literally the top of the food chain. Like they're worth 100 men each. Uh, and he 1v1s them, one of them without drawing his sword. Huh. Um, so I guess he's worth a thousand Ooh. men each. Huh? And so he's got a picture because he sounds just, like he's worth a thousand men. Wait, wait, oh. nice. mm. wait a second. I have a lead cork, them all. <laughs> and so he just is very cool, and they put a lot of emphasis on how important it is that these Ming are there affecting the situation and acting as uh, barriers. Yeah, in one scene we see when they start to explain, like, why are the Ming here? What do they want when they're talking to the... I, I don't know if he's the emperor of, of part of Japan yeah, or he, he's he's some, you know, man of dignity. Very, very um, frownish Asian man sitting in a large ornate chair with lots of dragon statues and armed guards around. And so he only was, only all, drinking sake, yeah, sitting so there drinking sake. Like, he's all like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so he, um, 
he's not a very prevalent character. He, you know, he kind of exists because there has to be a figurehead, but he helps to be a carrier of kind of fueling the plot and, and explaining, you know, why are the Ming here? After the battle between the samurai and the uh, Ming warrior that they, you know, 1v1'd, and there was another Ming warrior with him that wasn't there in that instance. Um, I don't know if he was trailing behind, but they were partners. And the Japanese warriors take this Ming Dynasty warrior as a prisoner. They capture him. So they end up torturing him, and they're prodding him with hot irons and, and doing crazy shit to him, and this guy's just smiling, doesn't say a word. He's like, you know, superhuman. They're super confused. They don't understand. They know something's weird. And it comes to be that the Ming Dynasty warriors are taking this crazy medicine drugs. that they're taking drugs yep. and it the makes them man. feel no pain. It makes them feel nothing. Don't do drugs, um, kids, unless you want to. So, you know, the plot thickens. We go, okay, well, they're doing these weird drugs. Like, still, why are they here? Why are they trying to chase after this boy? Like, why is this important? There's a prophecy. So every, I don't know if it's every hundred years, every century. Man, I think I it's a hundred years. Uh, I don't I, even know. It was a huge timeline. I, I, think, I think it's a hundred, but I, I could be wrong. But a boy is born, and this is the, the Ming Dynasty belief. These are the Ming Dynasty priests prophesizing this, that a boy is born. It's always got to be a boy. That um, when he's killed on a certain day at midnight, his soul will leave his body and his blood will help create the immortal medicine that will make whoever, you know, consume his blood immortal. And they plan to bring it to the emperor. Yummy. And it's spectacular. Throughout the movie, you see a bonding relationship between the boy and this samurai who, you know, when you think about it, you see all these interactions where this samurai doesn't need to protect him, but he does. And it's the kind of like fatherly position that he's in that binds the characters. Like, I know you said you have to spoil movies to, to review them, but I kind of don't since we want to watch yeah, this no, with you, you guys. You so I'll talk all. about I'll talk about a couple of other things I, I really love. Um, namely the attention to detail and I'll just like talk about a couple scenes. There's a fight scene between one really prevalent character that we see very early in the movie and the uh, Nanashi. And they're kind of like, it's almost like a Western, you know, showdown where they're standing, looking at each other, holding their weapons. And the sun is shining and you can see the reflection off the blade of the Englishman's sword. Oh, wow. And the clouds roll over and just like slowly, you can see the rays of light like fade away. It's everything about Holy this shit. movie, every animation, there's a purpose for everything that they do. And the just dedication to those little details when, when, animated um, so well just put the movie together. And and that's exactly how that's exactly how the movie is animated. There are characters that will come, come into the two thousand seven. Okay, wow. There are characters in this movie where you 
they're portrayed to be important characters. They have not a ton of dialogue, not a ton of backstory, but you're introduced to them and the battles are so quick and fast paced and it's not super flashy. It's not something where, you know, it's unreasonable. It's all like very, very, yeah, no, very no, in no, the no, realm no. of realism. And you see people kind of just dying like quickly in the heat of battle. And that's why it's so important to like pay attention because everything's so fast paced and they keep the movie like on the edge of your seat. Uh, the whole no time. Two episode long final breaths. Like, yeah, there's, there's not no, a lull. There's no lull. He does. He's not. There's, in there's the no. There's phase. no five minutes takes two thirty minute episodes. Right. There's no. There's no, no way, Han. Are you telling me there's for five seconds straight? Are you telling me there's no spirit bomb? What? <laughs> 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 but uh, it's just uh, a masterpiece of a movie. Honestly, I would have to say it is one of my favorite animated movies if not movies in general and i would give it an eight out of an eight for sure eight out of eight wow. yeah we, i can't wait to watch it i uh, did, did i already ask you what you watched it on or do you um animation, but yeah animation, okay. it's on yeah, prime video um you can you can find it in Honestly, many places not that anybody should use that as their main streaming episode. No, I you should I'm watch gonna, it in the best quality I'm possible. I'm probably going to buy it. I'll, I'll buy it on Blu-ray probably, and then I'll bring it over. It, honestly, I would it. suggest that. It's um, come on it's a phenomenal movie. The sword fighting. Yeah. No, this sounds really cool. I'm yeah, actually really, really Another excited. really interesting thing, um, and this will be cool for you guys because you'll actually be able to listen for it. And I never really knew, knew, never really knew about this or or recognized this. But the entire soundtrack in the movie is all building up. So at the beginning, they kind of give you a taste, and then as you continue on, when they introduce different characters, there's a different tune with different characters, and it all builds up to one final soundtrack at the last fight between the protagonist very, and antagonist. Very fucking cool. nice. That um, is so cool. So I hope that you I fucking, hope you guys enjoy. That is whoever was in charge of that music score they must be very passionate. I wonder if they did anything else. That's so cool. Anal maybe. Uh, definitely anal. Yeah, My name is Maher. And tonight you have listened, your ear have been uncorked and your vagine have been touched. This is the Squid Fellas. And uh, one, we would like to say that you belong in a cage with uh, Crazy Bilo, and uh, you need to see a therapist uh, so that he may make a rape on you. Uh, have a good night. Uh, Chinkui. <laughs> <laughs>